pray. Holy God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, open our hearts, our minds, our very souls through your word so that we may love you evermore. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark Twain famously said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I couldn't, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. That's kind of how it is, isn't it, for us? In our youth, right? We're growing up and we want to throw off all the shackles of family, of our father, of all the rules. We want to have everything be our own, to have that freedom to go out in the world, right? And then we go out in the world and we realize that the world is not handed to us on a silver platter. And we often stumble and fall and sometimes get hurt badly, so to speak. And then we have that choice, do we actually go back and talk to dad? And there's that trepidation, isn't it? I mean, what's the father going to say? Now, I know all of you have different fathers, different backgrounds, but there, there's a little bit of trepidation. I mean, will he chastise me? Will he just say, well, you got what you deserved? Will he say, well, you got to pay for all of your mistakes? All of that. There's that trepidation. In a like manner, when we rebel against our Heavenly Father, we go off, we do our things, and then we fall. There's a lot of people who have trepidation about coming back home. You know, is God just an angry God waiting to smite you? I mean, there's a lot of that, isn't there? Right? God's just an angry God waiting to, you know, put down the hammer so that you get punished so you get what's coming to you. And yet, in this parable, we find not that. We find great love. Great love of the Father who says, I forgive you, come back home. And so we have the parable of the prodigal son. Now, one of the wonderful things about this parable is that so many people know it, because most of us in some way or shape or form have been the prodigal son or daughter in our lives. So there's some familiarity to it that comforts us. And yet there is some grit some realism, as it, will, as it were, regarding this parable as well. In fact, in this parable, you will find rebellion and rejection. You will find despair and repentance. You will find forgiveness and rejoicing. So let us learn from God's Word today, the parable of the prodigal son. We begin... And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. So this was a bit of an unusual request 
uh, for somebody during that time period. Now, normally, we inherit from our father, from our parents, after they have passed away. But there was a point in Jewish tradition, Jewish law, where the son could actually ask for his inheritance while his father was still living. So the younger son did that. And he got a third of the estate. Now you can imagine what the conversation might have been like between the father and the son. I mean, it's not written down, but you can imagine the father saying, why are you leaving? You have everything here. You have food, you have shelter, you have protection, you have my love. Why would you want to go anywhere else? But for a variety of reasons, the young son does want to go. He rebels. He rejects his father. He rejects his family. And in a like manner, a lot of people do that with our Heavenly Father. Many people reject our Heavenly Father for a number of reasons. It could be because, you know, uh, maybe something happened at church, and they were just offended by something that happened at church, and so they leave. They leave the church family, but they also end up leaving the Father. It could be because they think, well, faith is just about a bunch of outdated rules that we have to follow. Or my prayers haven't been answered. Or it could be, by the way, that you just want to sin without guilt. Right? Could be a lot of those reasons. But people really do leave the Father and they leave the family. You know, we we call ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you are really part of a church family, they really do become your brothers and sisters, don't they? These are your loved ones. But for a number of reasons, people reject all of that. In fact, there's something called deconstructing faith. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's actually a very old but a modern, again, trend. Deconstructing one's faith. So what people do is they literally take apart their faith, one block at a time. And it normally starts with God's word right? The Bible just becomes a bunch of myths, fables, stories. It's not true. And if the Bible then isn't true, well then Jesus may or may not have existed. He may or may not have been God. He was maybe a good teacher, but something less than God. Hell doesn't exist. And it just becomes all of these rules. And so piece by piece, People literally deconstruct, break down their faith. Now, if you were here last week, uh, we talked about building your house on the rock. Do you remember that? And what happens when you have a, you, you're, you're not on the right foundation? You deconstruct your faith, you step off of that. What happens in that parable? The great flood, the great rain came and washed everything away. That's what happens to a lot of people when they deconstruct their faith. So with that in mind, let's go to the parable again of the prodigal son. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. 
There he squandered his property in reckless living. Look, once the floodgates are open, it sweeps you away. (laughs) For a lot of uh, young people, that means going off to college, right? That freshman year. People say, oh, I never have regrets in my life. It's like, did you go to college at all? But here, notice, it says that he went uh, a long ways away. He would have gone to the land of the Gentiles outside of the protection of Israel. He literally went to a foreign land and he squandered everything. For us, the, the thing would be like going to Las Vegas, right? So there was gambling, there was drinking, and there was prostitutes. And that's what he did. Here's the problem with all of that. The problem is that sin never truly satisfies. Sin never truly satisfies. You know, you got the shiny apple there, but after a while the apple looks rotten. I mean, really, when you, when you release those floodgates and you just sin with abandon, well, that first thrill is really thrilling, Right? But after a while, the thrill seems to be less and less. And you've got to do more and more and more to get that thrill. Same thing with drugs, right? That first high, really high, and then you find this with addicts, that it just they need more and more and more and more to get high. And really, ultimately, sin, it might satisfy in the very beginning but it leads to a pit of despair. I mean, you, take, you, you talk to anybody who's been an addict for anything, and they are in despair. This is the story of the prodigal son. So we go to despair and repentance, this next section. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So, hard economic time. There was a famine, and he had to take any job that he could get. And if you were a Jew, you would understand the severity of this parable here, of the job that he took. First of all, he was a Jew, and he hired himself out to one of the Gentiles. That was like going back and being enslaved again. That's how the Jews saw that. But the job he had, being a pig herder, well, pigs were unclean for the Jews. And if you were a pig herder for a Gentile, that is the most debased job you could get. It was the worst of the worst. It was, it was so bad that you were ceremonially unclean and you couldn't even celebrate in the Sabbath. So when he took this job, for all practical purposes, he was forced to renounce his faith. For all practical purposes, yes, sir. You know, I, I, I got to give up being a Jew to even take this job. 
And the irony is the freedom he sought from his father, the freedom he sought led him to renounce all that was good and proper. I mean, he was trapped. He was truly in a pit of despair. And I'm going to guess some of you have been, might even be in a pit of despair. And it's very, very difficult. See, one of the dangers of despair is that it becomes this downward spiral where everything becomes hopeless. Dante's Inferno. Do you remember what it said above the gate to hell? Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. When you are in despair, when you are in darkness, it seems to be the most hopeless time in your life. You even think about taking your life when things are so dark. Here we go back to the psalmist. The psalmist actually wrote about this. He says, For when I kept silent, when I did not confess anything, my bones uh, wasted away through my groaning all, uh, all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That's hopelessness, isn't it? Wasting away. And that's the situation the prodigal son was in. The low, lowest of the low. But we're going to find out this is actually a gift that God has given to the son. Because there is repentance. So let's go with this next section. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I love this phrase that it begins with. But when he came to himself, this is that that moment of clarity. That moment of clarity in all the turmoil, all the suffering, when you fall on your knees, that everything has been cleared away and you actually see who you are, who you truly are in that moment. And who you truly are in relationship to the Father. Illusions have been shattered. The game's over. Truth is exposed. And this is a gift. This is a gift from God. Because at that moment, it brings you to repentance. It brings you to repentance. You say, I am done with all of that. I want to come home. This is a gift of grace and mercy that the Father gives us. Now, being a prodigal son is very real for a lot of people. It's, it's not an intellectual thing here that we're talking about. And I, in a moment, I'm going to show you a video uh, of a true prodigal son. His name is James Caldemeyer. So right now he's a fishing guide in Texas. And he uh, goes in Texas, uh, one particular lake, 
He does uh, fishing tournaments around, very friendly, very affable. But when he was 21 years old, he uh, got really drunk and drove and ended up in a car accident that killed the other person. He lost his wife, his family, his job. He was in a pit of despair. So, with that, and uh, Jaden, could you make sure sound on this one's going to be loud enough just to make sure? The guilt and the anguish and the hurt that came upon my shoulders just was overwhelming. I've never felt anything like it in my life, and I knew that I'd really done it. I'd really let myself become so far out of control that even I couldn't fix it now. And I remember as they as they released me from the hospital and took me into custody, getting down on my knees and crying out to God, and I said, God, please help me. Please help me. What have I done? And I was I was feeling so bad about the situation and so bad about what had happened and and being responsible for what I was responsible for that I just didn't even really want to live. I didn't want to live no more. I didn't I didn't want to keep keep going forward. But when I cried out to God, he he came to me in my time of need. I think some people God reaches through subtlety and think he's able to touch the lives of people in different ways. In my instance, it was it was a iron fist and, and a hard love. He knew that I had to reach my bottom before I'd open my eyes. I was so hard-headed, I just didn't want to accept him. And, and when I cried out to him, it was a plea of, of just come help me. And, and Lord, if you'll help me, through this, I'll, you know, I'll surrender. And, and when I surrendered my life to Him, it just changed. Everything changed. Everything changed. You know, through all that happened, I lost my business. I lost my family. I lost a, a wife that I was newly wed to. I lost everything that this life had had given me and, and I had earned in this life and on my own on my own will but Jesus had also given me freedom from sin and, free, and freedom from uh, the life that I was living through his forgiveness and his love and his grace. And if it hadn't been for His mercy and grace in my life, I'd either be dead right now or in prison somewhere, rotten away.
Scripture says this, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is what is the message that needs to be proclaimed, especially when you are in the pit of despair, especially when you are so far from home that forgiveness awaits you, that in Christ Jesus, who suffered, died, and rose again, when there is repentance, there is immediate forgiveness. You do not have to wait. And you are welcome back with loving, rejoicing arms. And so we go to our last section, which is forgiveness and rejoicing. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassionate and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, just as it uh, was in the song, talking about the father longing, looking, waiting each night to see if the son had come back home, aching in his heart. This is the heavenly father who desires you to be with him, who desires you. As a matter of fact, the parable breaks uh, another Jewish tradition because in the parable, the the father actually runs to the son, right? You have to know, A Middle Eastern man during that time never, never ran. He would not run. He'd have to lift up his tunic. He'd have to bare his legs, which was a shameful thing according to them in the culture. So the parable that Jesus is talking about is the great, great love of the compassion of God that supersedes all of these man-made traditions. So the father runs to him. And the son's going to confess, right? But the the father cuts him off. Doesn't even want him to confess. He doesn't say, son, do you know what you put me through? Do you know how many nights I waited up for you? Do you know how angry I was at you? You're going to have to pay back everything. He doesn't say any of that, does he? Does he? None of that. And again, the message is that the Father's love for you is full. It is complete. Nothing is held back. Our Heavenly Father's forgiveness for us is full and complete because of what Jesus has done for us. He does not look at your sins. He looks at Jesus who has paid the penalty for your sins. Romans chapter 8 says this, There is therefore now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Boy, if you don't know that verse, that's one to highlight in your Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And listen to what the Father does. But the Father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. 
and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. He gives them a robe which indicates a high level of status, a high status within the family. He gives them a ring which indicates authority. He puts sandals on his feet to indicate that he is no longer a slave, but he is a free man. And the calf was for an honored guest. He's welcoming home his son, whom he loves so, so much. And as it says, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. When someone who is the prodigal son or daughter comes home, there's celebration in heaven. There's true celebration in heaven. Now, there is more to the parable for the sake of time. We're not going to do that part. It's about the brother who is jealous. Jealous. So, by the way, you might have some prodigals in your life, right? And if they come to Christ, don't be jealous. Rejoice. So, all of us, all of us, look, at one time or another, have been prodigal in some way, shape, or form. There's been a time, probably, in our lives when there has been a broken relationship with God. So, here's the message. If you are in rebellion... If you are in despair because of sin, you are not without hope. Repent and receive the full forgiveness of your heavenly Father through Jesus. Come home. Rejoice. Amen.